Hi everyone. First of all, I want to bless you. I want to welcome you again to this wonderful service and celebration of God's word where you will hear the voice of God. Both Sabi and I want to thank uh, Pastor John, Pastor Kelsey for honoring us, honoring me with this opportunity to serve you with the word of God. And I believe with all my heart that this word is life transforming. I also believe that this word will be fresh because it has been fresh to me. So I bless you with the empowering grace of God. I ask you, I beseech you like Paul would say in Pauline language, I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God. Open your hearts to me and your eyes will be opened, your eyes of your heart, your understanding, your spirit will be opened to a tremendous word that will transform you. The next thing I want to say is that this is not a word that's going to talk to you about salvation and hell and grace and the oogie googie, nice feeling of grace. It's not that kind of grace that we are talking about today, but we are talking of grace. We are talking of, and I'm sharing on transformational grace. Uh, It's about the new man and the realms of grace. Okay. But it's about the new man, the one new man. Okay. And the realms of grace. So I want to begin by telling you that grace is multicolored. And why is grace multicolored? Because trials are multicolored. And so for every trial, there is a color that will meet and energize you to meet that trial. That's why you and I can count it joy when we face trials. And it says in James chapter 1, various trials and the word various is multi which is the same as the multicolored grace that comes to us uh, in Jesus Christ. So the realms of grace, and I'm very simply, I want to put it across and I'm developing this as God gives me the revelation. And there are basically four dimensions to that. I base it on uh, Ephesians 3, 20, Uh, 19 and 20 that speaks of the fourth dimension that speaks of the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of his love and love and grace are married to each other. And wherever you speak about love, you speak about grace. Wherever you speak of grace, you speak of love. So you're looking at the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of God. In that very verse, you would see a definition of different types of people. There is the length. You know who they are? I'm not going into all four because it might condemn. But the, the length are the people who begin and end. Okay, they have a beginning. They're born from above. And they end somewhere. Okay? Uh, usually in that theology, heaven. And they're only concerned of getting from point A to point B. But then you get the length, the breadth, the height, the depth. And we're looking at the depth today. Okay. So the transformation of grace. That is four dimensional. The first one. And it's step by step. 
and you will see when I start uh, teaching you from Ephesians as well, you would see them uh, manifesting itself. So the first one is known as transformation or transformational grace. This is the commencement and the empowering work of grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think a little. Imagine, you can close your eyes, you can do whatever, you can meditate. Imagine you're standing before a majestic cascading waterfall and you're all struck. You can hear the beauty, you can see the beauty, you can hear the the waters splashing. And the first thing that I like to say about that picture is that it is the connection between the upper realm and the lower realm. The upper being heavenly, which Ephesians speaks of, and the lower being earthly. And the source from which it comes you don't see. Although you may know in the natural where the water is coming from. But to us, it's coming from the river of life. And so it's connecting the source to the recipient. And when you look at that, you also notice that when the water falls and it moves and causing a little streamlet or, or, and then into a river, etc. With every movement of that, it is transforming life. As it goes over the stones, it cleanses the stones. And that's what grace does. Through the eternal blood of Yeshua Mashiach, the Lamb of God, we are cleansed. That's where we begin. We are cleansed unto righteousness. And as it moves on, it is a process by which every time the waters pass by that stone, and you and I are lively stones, every time it passes, it does something to the stone. That's That's a sanctification. And that sanctification is not done by works or by you and me. That's the process of the water. Have you understood that? It's, it's not a works program where you've got to fight because he who has begun a good work in us will complete it. Okay? And so as you continue standing and you see the water, you know what else it does? It produces life. It produces greenery. It produces fruit, trees. And that's what it does. This is the first one. The transforming grace of God. The second dimension of that is called discovering grace. That's the blessings. You know, these blessings are like you and I standing under a cosmic shower. Recipients of all that he's got. And Paul talks of it uh, very strangely in the first chapter, in the first part of that first chapter. And I believe he's doing that because creation begins with a blessing. And grace is always blessing. Grace is never cursing. Grace is always blessing. Grace is always bringing nourishment to us. And as this grace, this cosmic shower falls on us and we begin to enjoy it, I want you to know something. You're like standing at the beginning of what I call Graceland. 
The inheritance that you've been given once you are transformed. Beautiful. And you're there in Graceland, and as you take step by step, you're enjoying the beauty of this land. You're enjoying the fruit. And as you partake of that fruit, again you're being transformed from glory to glory. It's an awesome thing. All you're doing is discovering. And when you read Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3 to 14, where he finally seals you with the Holy Spirit, you would see the, the discovering of forgiveness, yeah. of redemption, of being the very wisdom of God. And all of those discoveries, faith is not static. Faith is dynamic in that it motivates you to search for these wonderful nuggets or wonderful trees or wonderful fruit that God has blessed you with. That's what faith does. It enables you because you're saved as Ephesians 2, 6 says, you're saved by faith, by grace through faith. So through faith, you're now beginning to explore, you're beginning to discover the riches of His grace in Graceland. Third dimension, okay, is you come into a place of what is known the rest in grace. And this is an awesome place to be in because as you, as you progressively walk, you know what's happening? You suddenly begin to live in what is known as presence. Presence is the now of grace. It's the now where you can sit, bask in the glory of God, Go deep into your unconscious, subconscious. And even though you see certain things like the defense mechanisms that are still being dealt with by God, just like he's been dealing with me in this area. And just as you begin to see various weaknesses, you know what it's doing? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Come on. For his grace is made perfect in my Weakness. Whether it's physical, and right now I'm going through that. You must have heard about the seven blocks that I have in my heart. And I like the number seven because it's complete. But I'm here. Because I'm, I'm resting in His presence. It's a rest. It's awesome. It's not a work. It's not a surgical procedure. But it's a rest in His presence. And you know what? Psalm 1611. In His presence is fullness of joy. Right hand, pleasures forevermore. Again, you remember discovering the pleasures, the riches of God? That is what it is. In fact, His final burst of His grace is that He can display you and me as the riches of His grace. Say, look at them, look at them, look at them. And guess what? As Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 talks of, we are his workmanship. Yeah. And then in chapter 3 and 10 and 11, it talks about we are the wisdom of God. To whom? To the world? No. To principalities and powers. Because our fight is not against flesh and blood. That's right. And so to principalities and powers, we are God's wisdom. Oh, 
the wisdom, the riches of his grace. And so we go on and on and on. And now defenses are no longer there. No longer fear, no longer anxiety, no longer worry. Why? Because you're in the presence. You're in presence, in the now. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And then the fourth dimension, because it doesn't stop there, is called emanating grace. Now what does that mean? Imagine again, you can close your eyes and meditate on this. Every single one has a picture. And when I finally produce this masterpiece of God's wisdom, I, I would be having some meditative things as well to share with people. This is like a fountain. Okay. Now, a fountain has a source. You don't see it, but it has a source. And then... The water is gushing out from the center of that source. Jesus said something interesting. He said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Now this fountain is gushing water. And then you know what? Amazing. Are you ready? It falls onto everything that is around it. And it hydrates the things that are around it. It's like you and I living in this world. We don't have to do anything. Yeah, come on. Just by the fact that the grace of God is working actively in our lives, it hydrates the people around so us. Good. It brings a healing. Do you remember in Revelations it talks about the healing streams? In Ezekiel 37 about the healing for the nations. It's all about water. And it's flowing. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to bind one and loose the other. Just your presence. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about bringing us into this new man. This one new man. And so Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3 is all about this one new man going through this process. And then he comes to chapter 4. In chapter 4, he's like, it's like a door on a hinge where he swings the door and you walk through and he calls it a worthy walk. And I'm going to start from verse 17 because that's where I want to focus on. And this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness or sensuality. That's what the Amplified and many other versions would have. I'm reading from New King James Version, if you don't mind. To work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not learned Christ in this manner. If indeed you heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in 
Jesus. We go further, but for the moment, I want you to focus on this. Paul, in in this, from chapter 4, 17 to 24, it appears like Paul is a helicopter policeman, rounding and going round and round and round, looking for who is the one who is stealing, who is the one who is gossiping. Yeah, you know these helicopter pilots or these helicopter policemen or helicopter parents. They are known as helicopter parents, actually. And some of these pastors can be like that. Okay. And if any pastor is listening, uh, forgive me. I've been in that place and I know what it means to do the helicopter policing. We're called to pastor, not to police. Just a little thought for you. Okay. So here we come. Now watch this, right? Paul is definitely, definitely not talking about policing people's lives. He's pastoring people's lives in the most beautiful way through grace. And I'll show you so that you will know that everything that is read, and I'm going right down to the end of the chapter, okay, as quick as I can, is done in grace. So look at the first thing. He says, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, or as some versions would say, insist in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, I'm sure when Paul was writing this, he was in jail, definitely. So he saw some of these hardcore criminals. But when he was writing this to the recipients of this book, they would have wondered, what on earth is he saying? He definitely is not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles. However, he's saying, and how do I know he's writing to Gentiles? Because in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I therefore prisoner of the Lord, okay, because of you Gentiles. (laughs) And then in chapter 2, in verse 11, he talks about the Gentiles being in the darkness of their thinking. So what is Paul doing? Is he confused? Or is he establishing an important point regarding us and my understanding as I did this study is that Paul is talking about an identity in chapter 1 and 2 he talks about in and verse 3 he's talking about our identity in Christ that we are no longer now watch this right the word Gentile in normal understanding is that it is non-Jew it's an ethnic thing. Anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile, including you and I who are not Jews. So what is he saying to a group of Gentiles? Don't walk in the futility of the mind of a Gentile. You know what he's doing? Amazing. He is saying that you're no longer a Gentile or a Jew. You are a new man. And so your identity is not in your ethnic culture. He is breaking out and he's saying you're bigger than that. He's saying you are a free person. You're a new man. And how do I know that? Because he says here in verse 22, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. 
And then in verse 24, he says, put on the new man. The word man in Greek is anthropos. From where you get the word anthropomorphic. Or you get uh, another understanding that you do uh, research. So, anthropos means man. Now, today man would define male or female, right? So, man is known as man. But 100 years ago, or even in Paul's time, man was not male. Man was a collective form of humanity. And so, Jesus becomes the one new man. You remember that time where Jesus was talking to the high priests uh, during his trial? You get it in Matthew 26. He was talking to the high priests and he quoted Daniel. And in Daniel, (laughs) you must read that. All these beasts of different types, some mega beasts, some with horns, which uh, unfortunately again today has become catastrophic in theological terms and theological understanding and interpretation because uh, everybody's running after these various uh, fascinating sensational study. And within that, it says this, And I saw one like the Son of Man. I saw one like the Son of Man. And if you go down further, the Son of Man are the saints of God. The Son of Man are the saints of God. Now Jesus before the Sanhedrin during his trial and Jesus uh, before, okay, the high priests or the chief priests, when they call him the Son of God, he never used that title. Jesus never said he was the Son of God. And then when they said, are you the Son of God? You know what he says? He says, you will see this now. He uses the word now. You will see the Son of Man appearing in the clouds. Now, that means it's a fulfilled activity. Now, and he was quoting Daniel. Now you will see the Son of Man coming in cloud. And that he will be lifted up. And you know when that happened? It happened on the cross. So it's all over, but he was lifted up. And you know what he was actually saying? He was calling, and and by the way, the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin, and you know, Jesus was put to death by the most sophisticated religious system of his time and the sophisticated government of his time. And what he was telling the chief priests is, you are the beast that Daniel speaks of. They understood that. That's why they were raging and that's why they were so angry. Because they knew what Jesus was saying, referring to Daniel. So what did he become? He became the new Genesis. He became the new son of man in whom we are all now son of man. The one new man. And so when Paul talks of the new man, he's talking of this new Humanity, this new man in Christ Jesus, because you have not learned. He's saying, you know, don't go back 
don't go back to that nature. That's over. Because that cascading majestic waterfall came and washed you clean and gave you a new identity that you can discover over and over again. And all he's saying is that, you know, you remember that time where you learned of Christ? And when you learned of Christ, you put off concerning your former conduct. And you now have put on the new man, the new humanity, which has a life, a language and a love that goes beyond ethnicity, that goes beyond male or female, that goes beyond Scythian, barbarian, free slave. You are the new, you are the new creation. This old has gone. And he's encouraging them and he's reminding them of their new identity. And he says, therefore, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in your attitude. Some versions have the word attitude. I want you to be renewed. I want you to continue walking this because you see, this is who you are. And then in the following verses from chapter, uh, verse 25 to 32, he gives the opposites. He's not policing them. He's saying, you know, you were this, but now you're this. You used to steal, but not now. You used to lie, but not now. Live in your identity. Your identity is the real, authentic life. It's not a lie. You know, some of us, we think that what he's talking about is lying. As in, you know, we have white lies, gray lies, black lies, that lie. No, no, no. Yeah. While that is also there, and by the way, don't lie. <laughs> uh, while that is there, what he's talking about really is a falsehood of life. Wow. And he's saying you don't have to live this life. And then he goes on, let each one speak truth. That's who you are. You're a truth teller, not a fortune teller. Which lies? Who lies? And there are many Christian fortune tellers, I have to say. <laughs> I, I had to throw that in. Pardon me. But you see, you and I live by the revelation of the word of God. We don't live simply that we have been saved. And now we're on our way to heaven. Let's pack our bags and get ready for the rapture. I don't think the Bible teaches that. He is talking about a lifestyle here on earth as it is in heaven. Don't forget the cascading waterfall. It's connecting from the source to the one who's down here. And then what happens? It begins to vegetate. It begins to produce light. It begins to get cleansed. That stone which was rough as it goes through the rough terrain. It begins to circulate and bring you into a smooth living stone, a lively stone. And all you have to do is just yield yourself to that water flowing. And if you do fail, just go under the waterfall and have a bath. <laughs> as simple as that. You, you see what the dimension of grace, you see the new man and grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the freedom to live in the power of God. Wow. 
and enjoy the riches of his grace. So he says, don't lie. And then he says, wow, this is a big one. Be angry and do not sin. He's not saying don't be angry. He's saying don't sin, that's all. And the word sin is in reference to don't go back, don't fail. You have the right to be angry. You know, righteousness is not how you and I think of it. Because over there he says, you put on the new man, verse 24, which was created according to God in true righteousness, which means there's a false righteousness. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? We are the righteousness of God. Now, righteousness is this. It's relational and everything down here up to verse 32 is relational. It begins with the right relationship with God. And now watch this. Daniel, okay, is hoping because he's now 50 years since the exile. He's hoping that at least because he read Jeremiah 25 about the 70 years and now he's 50. So 20 more years to go. At least I'll be wheeled back to Jerusalem. And God disappoints him. Says, no, not 70, 70 times seven. That means uh, the time of my righteousness working in Israel has not been completed because they're not allowed it to be completed. And oftentimes we think that righteousness is, you know, doing good things and living right. No, no, no. It is living in right relationship to either a person so that that person benefits through you and by you or again righteousness means living in right relationship to the situation which brings about a collective wholeness to the situation did you get that so let me just give you this example you get a husband, he's a Christian, like me. I'm a good, I'm a good husband, I'm a righteous husband. And so is Pastor John and so is Angelo and all husbands who are before me. Uh, thank God that there are a few people here today I can talk to. Okay, and including you. Right, so a righteous husband is not about him doing good things for his wife. You can do good things and be unrighteous. Wow. A righteous husband is a faithful husband. Come on. Caring, loving, and he's a man who will provide and protect the family. Yeah. Come on. That's a righteous husband because it's all relational. Yeah. Now, this righteous husband is different to a righteous father. A righteous father can be nice. He is nice when he is reading his stories to or telling his stories to his children or a grandfather. Or again, now watch this. There is a situation in the house and the two siblings are against each other. You ready? Now, a righteous father does not sit back and say, hmm, you know, yesterday... I read a story to them. I was nice. They loved me. I want those hugs. I, I, I want the niceties coming out. 
if i interfere in this squabble what will happen so now a righteous father will act in a way where not like the father who read the story last night but he will act in a way that will separate the siblings from each other and then bring about a justifiable reconciliation now sometimes he may have to discipline them that does not make him unrighteous that does not make him cruel i'm not talking of punishment punishment is what you do to a child discipline is what you do for a child okay now he brings a bit bit of discipline there just like god did with the people of israel and he then brings about reconciliation and they're back again who knows when they will take and i know siblings 10 minutes go bang again the conflict now the same father the same husband let's say he's got the office of a judge he's a judge and so they bring a, a case a man is found guilty the judge has to advocate judge has to pronounce guilt and judge has to give the man the necessary penalty now imagine it's a murder and imagine if that judge sits back and says ah oh, come on you guys you need to forgive this guy because this was an off day of his <laughs> he had a most probably a fight with his wife or something and then he went into a rage and murdered imagine what kind of a judge that would be yeah? and that's how god operates with every situation god works in righteousness to bring about reconciliation according to each situation so what he does in this with the guy who's guilty it's a collective thing he brings reconciliation peace quietness and safety to society because that is his responsibility so when he talks about be angry and sin not that's what he means you can get angry but do not let this anger fester in you and so he uses this thing about uh don't let the sun go down it's from Psalm 4 and verse 4. And there it's not about anger, there it's about trembling. And when you go to bed don't tremble. You know when people get angry, I don't know about you, but there have been times where when I get angry I tremble. <laughs> and when I tremble my wife goes quiet. <laughs> but that's what Psalm 4 and verse 4 says. But here He's talking about anger and don't let it simmer down fester give it all defending or bring about a defense of why you got anger angry righteous anger well if it's righteous anger i i describe what righteousness is you can only get righteous anger towards injustice towards a situation where there is an act that is outside of god jesus was righteous in his anger but you know why 
And by the way, in his anger he did not sin. He used to whip, but he didn't touch any single human being. Because he was in control. And there's another place where in his anger he healed. Where he turned around with angry at these Pharisees. And he looked at the man with the withered hand. And he said, he made hope. In anger. He channeled his anger. In the energy of bringing about reconciliation according to the need. You got it? So, don't let it simmer. Don't let it go down. Finish your business. It's a business word. Finish your business. If there has to be forgiveness, there has to be forgiveness. If there has to be reconciliation, there has to be reconciliation. Don't go to bed the same way you had this fight. Because the next day, you'll get up in another fighting mood. I, I, I assure you. And then he says, verse 28, Let him who steal no longer steal, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. Now here's the beauty of it. He says, That he may have something to give him who has need. Not working for yourself. And during these COVID periods, people are working hard. People have become so self-centered. It's a me, my, mind situation. And I know some of the churches also are going through the situation where the me, my, mind situation does not allow them to regularly give for the furtherance of the kingdom. And, and, and why is that? Because he who is working, he's working for himself. There's a self-centeredness, not an other-centeredness. And the new humanity or the new life, the one man, the man in Christ, the ascended man, the new species, is not only working for himself. It is said of Watchman Nee that whenever he bought something, he bought ten and more. So that he can give it to ten others. Come on. So good. Why? Because God, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God causes or is able to make all grace abound in you and me. That we have all sufficiency in all things to abound unto every good work. Not just for myself, not just for our church, but outside. Remember the fountain emanating? The, the, the emanating grace? It's overflowing to the point of hydrating the others. And so whatever I receive in my working, whatever I receive in my uh, serving, I'm able to bless others. Come on, come on. I'm blessed to bless. Come on, and so it goes, here's something. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart what? Grace gifts to the hearers. When people listen to us in our conversation, we give them gifts and send them off or we give them gossip and send them away. 
Gifts that will build. Grace is a gift. Gifts that will bring in edification and impart the grace of God. Our, our words should be gracious. Our words should have that amazing grace of God. And our words are effective. We will have what we say. Have you heard, heard this thing? Are oh, this COVID, when is it going to end? You ask me, I'll give you an answer. I don't know. <laughs> But who cares? Because we are not under the COVID cloud. Come on, come on. Like one of my pastor friends shared last night. He said we are under the covered cloud. The covered, not the C-O-W-A-R-D. We are covered. We are not covid Whether it's 19, 20, 21, it doesn't matter. We are covered by the eternal blood of the Lamb. Now that does not mean that we go outside and do some crazy things because, hey, I'm under the blood. No, no, no. I know that I know that my words will produce what it comes with. So if I say something and Mark 11, 23 says, I will have what I say. It's not just believing, it is saying. I will have not what I believe, I will have what I say, what I speak. And so here it says, edify, and this is the way we go. The grace of God. And grieve not the Spirit of God by whom you have were sealed for the day of redemption. That all bitterness... wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Put away. How is it done? When I get up in the morning, I rise up and I say, I am a new creation. By declaring I'm a new creation, I'm putting off the old creation. Because I believe what I say. When I rise in the morning, I say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice by saying that And believing it, I don't go through the day with a moping, moaning, murmuring, grumbling. Uh, what is this? I rejoice. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so no bitterness. No evil speaking. The word evil there means no speaking. It's, it's not about bad words. It's about the intent of the heart. The integrity of the heart. And so no evil speaking. Put it away. With all malice. And here it comes. And be kind. Be gracious to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave. That's grace. That's the new man life. That is the challenge that we have as we walk in grace. That is the challenge that we have. And, and it's not a challenge of struggle. It's a beautiful challenge. It's a challenge of willingness to recognize the flow that comes out of us, emanates grace and hydrates everybody around us. And this is why chapter 5 
begins by saying, imitate God. The word imitate, we are, we are not imitators because our faith and our grace that God has given us is not imitation. The word means mimic God. Mimic God. And how do you mimic God? How do you and I mimic God? Simple. Look at Christ. Because that's what it says. Look at Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us in Christ. And as we begin to behold as in a mirror, as we begin to see this wonderful person who is in us now, it begins to transform us. It's a very simple practice. You don't have to fight and battle and struggle and bind and loose. You know what you have to do? Remember that? Third dimension, rest. Rest. Relax. Simply relax. And allow the water flow. Because what comes on you, comes out from you. And in this time, to see what is needed. Grace. I love you. I bless you. Botsavi and I bless Life Global and we declare that you will be an ever-increasing cascading waterfall and each one of you will become a fountain emanating the grace of God where all who touch you will revive themselves. And you know what? As a result, they'll jump into the river. They'll say, hey, where's that river you come from? And you can show them that river. I love you and bless you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Enjoy it.